shopping with you over the next five nights, if you, if you stay the course, that is, are things that I have never preached publicly before, and things that I am seeing and have been seeing gradually developing over a number of years, and things which, as I just watch what God is doing and what Satan is doing around the world, I feel that it's right bang up to date. Now, the purpose of this ministry is not to just sort of inform you of prophetic things, but it's to equip the church to be wise in this day of God's power, because that's what I believe it is. I believe we're building up to a day of mighty power and mighty release, and I can assure you that Satan is not just not going to sit down and, and just let the church run him out of town. If you know anything of the devil, you know he's not like that. He has an implacable hatred of God and of his works and of his servants. And he would just love, if he could, to destroy everything beautiful, good, godly, and powerful on the face of the earth. But praise God, because of the mighty blood that Jesus shed, he's totally unable to do that. Amen? But he does say in the book of Daniel that uh, the wise will understand. And Paul does exhort us in the letter to the Ephesians that we need to be wise. And so I want to develop over these five nights five scriptures which are Old Testament scriptures that had a fulfillment in the beginning of the church age. Every one of them is quoted in the New Testament and we're told that this is that which the prophet spoke about. And it, it's possible at first to assume that, well, that's all fulfilled, so that's all history. But what you discover, if you study these scriptures carefully, is that there is a dimension of those prophecies which was never fulfilled. In each case, there was a local fulfillment in the city of Jerusalem, or possibly in the land of Judea. But it never went any wider than that. And secondly, it concerned only the Jewish people. And its effect was considerable, but really very local. But when you take the prophecies back to their Old Testament context and, and really read what the prophets were saying, and if you open up your spiritual eyes and God, by his grace, shows you what the prophets were seeing, then you begin to realize that these prophecies were much wider and much larger in their dimension and in their purpose. You will find that they are concerning all the nations, not just the people of Israel. You will find that they are to touch the whole world and not just the city of Jerusalem. And in each of these five cases, as I will show you over these next five nights, the, the purpose of these prophetic scriptures being fulfilled is a mighty ingathering of souls across the nations of the earth. And that's why I'm excited about it. And tonight, I'm going to just take one of these five, and each night, over the next five nights, I shall take one of these scriptures. On the uh, brochure, if you've got it, you'll find in very small print. You'll need prophetic eyes to read it. 
U of 5, the five titles are mentioned, and they are actually, they are um, concerning it, the ministry of Elijah, uh, the prophet uh, Joel, which was fulfilled in Acts 2. I better not try because my mind will go all over the place. Let me read them out to you. There's the restoration of the Elijah ministry, which of course is the end of Malachi, and it's picked up in Matthew 17 when Jesus is returning from the Mount of Transfiguration. Then there's the, the refreshing and outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which of course was fulfilled partially on the day of Pentecost, and it's the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. But I want to show you tomorrow night that there's a much, much wider mightier dimension, which I believe we're just about to see. Hallelujah. And then as we move on, you'll find the next one is referring to that prophet. It, it's spoken about by Moses in Deuteronomy 18, and it's picked up by Peter in Acts chapter 3. Who is that prophet? Well, we know that prophet's Jesus. But we're told many things about his prophetic ministry, which are just being released in the church. Then the, the fourth one, which perhaps some of you are already familiar with, is the restoration of David's tabernacle. Now, that's been around for probably 20 years now. And I want to show you some new insights to that and show you how it's absolutely relevant to what God is doing, I believe, almost especially in the United States at this time. It isn't simply the restoration of praise and worship, although that, that is one glorious dimension. But the ultimate purpose of it is government and rule. I'll show you that very plainly. And that's why it's so crucial for us to understand this. And then finally, we look at the revelation of the final conflicts of the kingdoms. And you'll find in Acts chapter 4 that the church, when it suffered its first persecution, quoted Psalm 2 in a mighty prayer meeting which physically shook the ground on where they were praying and spiritually shook the nation about which they were praying. Now I believe those kind of prayer meetings are coming back. God has promised to shake the nations. Amen? Have you ever thought how he's going to do it? Have you ever thought that we perhaps have a part in it? Now that's, that's going to be the glorious last night which will explain to us how even the tribulation has got a mighty evangelistic success purpose woven into it. A time of trouble which is going to be a glorious time of trouble because of what God achieves through it. Beloved. So that's the menu for the next five nights. Now, pray for me, the grace, because I'm, I'm, I'm treading new ground, I'm, I'm just feeling my way, and uh, at the same time I'm, I'm excited in my spirit. So let's turn tonight to Matthew chapter 17. And I'm sure you're familiar with this. It's Jesus coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration with his three disciples, Peter, James, and John. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, you will notice who is it that appears to him. Moses and Elijah, the two prophets which are picked up in the New Testament and we're told that they will come. I'm not going to develop that tonight, but please note that that it was Elijah and it was Moses who appeared to Jesus. And, of course, when they saw this 
manifestation of these men, what came to the minds of the disciples was the fact that the, the teachers had taught that according to the book of Malachi, Elijah was going to return. So let's just keep our finger in Matthew 17 and go to the uh, last page of the Old Testament where you find the book of Malachi, chapter 4, and indeed the last words of the Old Testament. Isn't that interesting? These are the last words of the Old Testament before 400 and about 30 years silence. And we'll read from verse 5 of Malachi chapter 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. You know, I cannot think of a greater curse than for the families of this world to be destroyed. Can you think of a greater curse? And isn't that a curse that's across our nation? I say ours because I feel... <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm a sort of Anglo-American Indian. <laughs> but I mean an East Indian, not a... <laughs> that, that's my nature. I'm sort of... I've got a heart that I share with God as to my capacity. I share God's heart for the nation. You know, when I'm with a nation, I can feel God's heart for the nation. It's just part of the gifting that I have. And I can tell you, I know how God feels for this nation in some measure. And he has such a passion for this nation. It's such a, a precious nation in his sight. And it grieves him to see the polluting of Satan across this nation. And it's his divine purpose to restore all the glory and to fulfill all the heart ambition of those who founded this nation. And they were godly men. You know, when I once went up the east side of the United States and did a, a history tour, as I watched some of these beautiful uh, historic uh, reconstructions of the founding of this nation, you know, I often stood there and I just cried. I cried with the, the, the passion of God for all that they saw to be fulfilled in this nation. And I pray this spirit will grip you. And I tell you, to have our families in the mess they're in, it's a curse. And it's a curse from Satan. And in Jesus Christ, we find in Galatians 3, he hung upon the cross, and one of the reasons he hung upon the cross was to take away the curse. Amen? In the crucified Christ, there is an answer to every curse. And Malachi spoke of an Elijah ministry that would have one of many purposes, but this is one great purpose that he picks out as being predominant. He would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. And this would take away the curse on the nation. Now notice it's fathers primarily. Because that's where the responsibility begins. If fathers get it right, 95% of the women will automatically fit in to a father who's right with his kids and a husband who's right with his wife. Probably 99%. So God charges the fathers. And that's the same in the New Testament. He holds the fathers accountable for their children. That's not my subject tonight. I just want to mention it in passing. Because as this began to convict me, even as a father of teenagers and 20-year-old 
sons and daughters, I tell you, I've put everything right with them that I am ashamed of in my fatherhood of my children. And it's brought a great release. It's brought great healing in our relationships. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. I tell you, if you will take this word seriously and let the healing flow in restoration of family, God's going to start to lift the curse off this nation. So come with me to Matthew 17. We'll go back to it now. And as Jesus walks down from the mount, verse 10, his disciples ask him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then Jesus answered and said to them, Elijah, notice the tense here, Elijah truly is coming first and will restore all things. So we're told in the future that he is coming and that he will restore all things. That's part of the purpose of his coming. And then he goes on into the next verse and the next couple of verses and says, but I say to you that Elijah has already come. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So there was a fulfillment of this scripture in John the Baptist, but there is a fulfillment of this scripture yet to come. Because by the time Jesus spoke these words, John the Baptist had long since been beheaded and his ministry was over. But we're now still looking to a future Elijah ministry which is going to cause the restoration of all things. So you can see it's a critical ministry. And it's going to herald in the power of God bringing back to his church all its full glory and bringing back to the earth the blessing of a church that's moving in the full glory of God. God promised to Abraham through you and your seed, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Amen? Is that not what he promised? So there's going to be such a power loosed through the seed of Abraham, and we're told in Galatians chapter 3 who that seed is. It is, of course, one seed, uh, the person Jesus Christ, but we're told in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 that we have become that seed by our union with Jesus in our new birth. So we, corporately, are that glorious seed. Isn't that wonderful? Just as we, corporately, have now become the Christ. I could turn up many scriptures to prove all these things to you. It's not all over, by no means. In fact, it's just beginning to be the full power and glory of what God promised. Hallelujah. So Elijah's coming. And if you have been observant, and I'm just going to run... You see, when I saw this about a few years ago, I began to realize that all the prophecies concerning John the Baptist were not history, they had a present future fulfillment. He, as it were, gave an initial taste of what it was going to be like, but the fullness of it is yet to come. So I've been looking for the Elijah ministry. And of course, once I started to look for it, I saw that it was already beginning to take place. And probably, I'm not going to give an exact time scale, but something over the last 10, 15, maybe as much as 20 years, the Spirit of God has been going forth again across the world to raise up a Spirit of Elijah which is moving in the body of Christ and not in a particular individual man. If you're looking for some guy to come on the scene with with camel hair and sandals eating locusts and honey, you're wasting your time. 
because this is a corporate spirit and moving through many ministries around the world. Now what I want to do is to list for you some of the consequences of the Elijah ministry and then I'm sure you can see that it's happening already. Some of them are in Luke chapter 1. So let's go to Luke chapter 1 now and we'll pick up many of the things said concerning John the Baptist which will have a great and are having a greater fulfillment in the ministry of the end time Elijah ministry. John, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1 and we'll start at verse 16. He will turn, this is uh, the angel Gabriel speaking to Zacharias just as John the Baptist was being conceived in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. And he says in verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So, number one, it's going to produce a rest, a return of people to their God. Now, many, many people in America are church-going, they're religious, but how many of them really have a living relationship with the living God and even desire it? And that's one of the... the I can't develop them all. It would take probably a week. I could speak for a week on Elijah. I've seen so much in these last few years. But I'm just going to sketch it out very, very quickly for you and see all the essential elements of this ministry. And you find them all in these scriptures. Verse 17, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He's now quoting from Malachi. The hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. So the second thing we see then is a restoration of fatherhood and a restoration of the family. Has that been going on? And has Satan not been seeking to destroy it? If ever you see a father portrayed on television, he's usually a bumbling idiot. Now that's a demonic attempt to denigrate and dishonor the role of father in the family. But God has raised up this Elijah ministry working through ministries across the world and it's working in the villages of India and it's working in the cities of America where even there the foul culture of Hinduism is being smashed to smithereens by the Elijah ministry. And I could tell you wonderful stories of how God is changing the very lifestyle. It can happen in Mexico. It can happen in South, uh, Central America. And South America. You mustn't accept the culture. You've got to I pray for God for the Elijah ministry to smash all that's unbiblical in family relationships. It's happening. And it's the heart of God being revealed. Secondly, you'll notice in verse 17, it speaks of the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people for their God. The restoring of a disobedient people to the right order of righteousness. In other words, producing a people who are submitted and obedient to their God. Now that's a great move. It's, it's a ministry, a teaching on submission and authority, which has been going out for a couple of decades, 
And boy, has that ministry been attacked. How the devil fears it. And I'm afraid in a few cases it's been abused. But I tell you, the ministry is from God. And again, I could talk for a week on, on the, the nature, the loving nature of true spiritual authority. But God is determined to produce a people who will do his will on earth as it is done in heaven, which we were all taught to pray by the Lord Jesus. Amen? Because that's what the kingdom essentially is, and that's what this obedient people are. There are people who seriously obey God. I was just staggered when I was doing some of this preparation, and I was reading again the words of, uh, of uh, the archangel Gabriel to Zacharias, and, and he tells him all these things, and then Zacharias, who's been praying for a son, and his wife Elizabeth, when the angel says, you're going to have a son in your old age, he says, how can this possibly be? And, the, and, and, and I've just got this picture of this archangel Gabriel, absolutely dumbfounded. He'd never ever heard anybody speak like this before. He sort of goes, oh, 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 pardon? He said, I, I've just come from the presence of God. That's what he says. I just come, and we don't talk like that in heaven. How can these things be? I'm not sure I agree with this. I'm not sure I like this. I tell you, in heaven, it's a very different picture there. If God speaks, that's it, beloved. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Even if you don't get paid for it. You know, voluntary service in the church is one of the greatest privileges we have. And we should serve God voluntarily without pay ten times more faithfully than we serve any secular employer. And would to God we had a church like that. I tell you, when we start to produce this kind of church, we will make mincemeat of the devil. We'll trample him under our feet and this valley will be filled with the glory of God. But I can't preach on every point, much as I would like to. But can you see that? turning a disobedient people to the righteousness of the just, making ready a people prepared for their God. So when God says to his people, pray on Friday night, how many people come? Everybody. Wouldn't that be an amazing church? Have you ever been to a church like that? If God says it, what do we do? We do it. So, well, there's a football match on. Well, who cares about the football match? We're talking about issues of the nation. All right, let's move on. It, it, uh, I read it just now, Luke 16, to turn many of God's people back to him. And then I want to jump over to uh, further on in this chapter. I want to go to verse 67. When now six months, nine months has elapsed, uh, John the Baptist has just been born. Zacharias was dumb for nine months because he but, 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 butted when the angel spoke to him from the very face of God. Don't be a but, but Christian. Be a yes, Lord Christian. What was the first thing that the Apostle Paul said when he got up off his knees after he'd been knocked down into the dust? He said, what? Will you have me to do, Lord? They were the first words of a new believer about 15 seconds old in Christ. 
Would to God we produce believers like this today, beloved. What will you have me to do, Lord? And then a little while later, God speaks to Ananias and tells him to go to the, 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 the street called Straight and there to pray for one apostle. And he says, but, 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 Lord. You know, you never hear of Ananias again. Maybe that was his first and his last messenger job for God because he was a but, but Christian. You know, I think that's possibly the difference between the goats and the sheep. The goats are but, but, but Christian. And the sheep just go, bah, yes, I'll do whatever you say. Amen? Oh, God, give us a people like this. Let's be a people like this. Amen. So we come on to uh, verse 69, and there's a promise there to raise up a horn of salvation for us. And the horn in Scripture is always a symbol of rule, dominion, and power. Do you understand that? Not time to develop it tonight. But you go through Scripture and you see how this is consistently so. You're going to raise up a horn of salvation, a, a mighty ruling authority which produces this so great salvation. We just, we just move on quickly. Verse 71 promises that we shall be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us. There's no room for continuing demonic harassment of believers. That's part of the Elijah ministry, to wake people up and realize that they don't have to let the devil push them around. In fact, we're raised up to push him around. Amen. That's part of the Elijah ministry. Won't say my usual one-hour message on that, but just move on. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, listen, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear. That's part of God's covenant promise to Abraham, which the Elijah ministry draws out and makes the people of God realize it. Do you know, it's abnormal for a Christian to have fear in their life. That's what the Bible says. I'm just quoting the Scriptures. It says in 1 John chapter 4, <coughs> that perfect love casts out all fear. It tells us in 1 Timothy, that fear is a spirit. And it doesn't come from God. So where does it come from? Now, fear may express itself in an emotion, but the root of all fear is spiritual, not emotional. And it comes from the pit. And you have a right to be free from it. God made a covenant promise with Abraham that you should. And if I go to an average Christian conference and speak on fear and ask all those who are afraid to raise their hands of one thing or another, usually about one-third of the people will raise their hands. And that doesn't allow for the people that are too scared to raise their hands. <laughs> they're, fear of, they're scared of the dark. They're, they're afraid of death, one of the last great enemies. They're afraid of the devil. They're afraid of God. They're afraid of spiders or I don't know what. Beloved, we are, we are released from this. And that's part of the ministry. Let's just move on. I'll quickly have to run through these things. We're to serve him without fear. Verse 75 
says, in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. It's not something we get to just as we expire, but it's something which we should have when we're born again. Amen? Verse um, 77 says to give the knowledge or the light of the knowledge of salvation to his people. And to give light to those who sit in darkness. Verse 79. What a wonderful, wonderful promise, isn't it? Eh? And to guide our feet into the way of peace. Well, there are just a few things, and I could develop each one of them. Now, they're, they're all the Elijah ministry. All these things are being brought back to the church. Now, I want to just now, just... Um, quickly remind you of some of the things that happened in the first Elijah in his conflict with Ahab and with the wicked Queen Jezebel of Israel. I'm just going to mention them. I have not time to turn them all up. But you will find that in the person of Elijah, he came to confront demonic darkness. I mean, it was, a, it was a desperate situation among the people of God. By this time, they'd all turned to worship Baal. Jezebel had killed all the prophets of God, and she had established about 850, I think it was, um, prophets of Baal, and they were worshipping Baal. She turned the whole nation away from God and to the occult wickedness of the worship of the, of the god Baal. And then Elijah comes on the scene. And... He, he, as far as he can tell, he's alone. Actually, he's not, because one of the uh, stewards of, of Ahab has hidden two companies of 50 prophets away in the caves. But he feels desperately alone. But there's such a spirit upon him that he comes in the power of that spirit to confront the demonic darkness. And I'm sure you all know these wonderful chapters 1 Kings 17, and 1 Kings 18, and 1 Kings 19, and the final confrontation on Mount Carmel. I'm not going to read it all, but just quickly pick it up for you. So he confronts the demonic darkness, he comes into head-on collision with the spirits of Baal, and he exercises control over the elements. He comes out of nowhere, this Elijah the Tishbite. I mean, what a name, the Tish. Who's ever heard of Tishbe? Have you ever heard of it? This little nobody comes from nowhere and stands before this great King Ahab and says, as I stand before God, it's not going to rain except by my word. And I tell you, it doesn't. And he prays and it doesn't rain and he prays and it does rain. He actually exercises control over the economy. And it's God's will in that case for that nation for its economy to be ruined to bring the people of that nation to their knees. Are you ready for that? How much do you love America? Enough to say, God, if that's the right way to bring America back to God, let our economy be touched. I'd rather have a holy America living on $400 a month than a godless America living on $4,000 a month. If that's your heart, you may have to pray the Elijah prayer. I'm not saying it so, I'm just simply saying... If we're serious, we're going to have to possibly take these decisions. I do know that in India, we exercise an Elijah ministry. Usually there, it's to make the rain come. And I could tell you stories of how we've gone against years of drought in the name of Jesus and commanded the rain to fall, and we've changed that grinding poverty, that demonic 
crashing load upon these people and we've turned a region into a success by the power of the Elijah prayer. I tell you, it's happening today. So there's a control of the elements. And of course he called down fire. You all know the story. And then by that calling down of fire, in that great challenge on Mount Carmel, he established before these people who was the true God. You know, I've often longed to get on television with some of these uh, wicked perpetrators of demonic evil. I said, oh God, I'd love to get on. I'd love to, I'd love to have a, an Elijah conflict with them right before the whole nation. You know, I, I, you can't do it in the flesh, but I'm hoping one day I'll be allowed to do it in the spirit. Take on, say, some of the leading Muslims in the world. Or some of the, the liberal, leading liberal theologians who are, who are advocating, you know, that there's no God, you know, homosexuality and situation ethics. I love to take them on and just show them that God is God. And I believe that's going to happen. I'm not saying it's going to be me, but I'm prepared to be the person if necessary. But maybe you're sitting here, because after all, Elijah the Tishbite was, was unknown. Who was Elijah? And who and where is Tishbe? So one of you might suddenly appear on CBN one night and stand before perhaps the president of this nation and say, I've got a word from God for this nation. I don't know, I'm just speculating now, but I tell you, something's going to happen. And indeed, in some ways, it's already happening to bring the challenge of the Elijah ministry against these powerful demonic forces. So he... He then, we read in uh, 1, let's just turn to it, perhaps we better pick it up, 1 Kings, in chapter 18, they've just killed all the prophets of Baal, and Elijah says to Ahab in verse 41, go up, eat and drink, for there's the sound of abundance of rain. He's prophetically seeing that there's a great, great deluge of rain coming. I tell you, if you have anything of the Elijah spirit or have touched it, what are they saying? They're saying there's rain coming, there's rain coming, there's mighty revivals coming. God's going to do something. There's a great power going to be released. And he gets on his knees and it's really, it's almost like a, like a, a, a native woman giving birth to a child. It's the sort of birth mission, and he starts to travel. He doesn't just sit in his air-conditioned office and sip Coca-Cola. He gets hold of God for what he's seeing in his spirit. Just like Daniel did. Daniel didn't just sit around. He got hold of God for what he had seen prophetically. And the prayers of that prophetic Elijah company are going to bring the very word of God to pass. So there's an intercessory dimension to this ministry. Have you noticed that there's intercessors being raised up all around the world to pray? And we're being taught a lot about spiritual warfare. It's all part of the Elijah ministry. God's getting ready for the almighty end-time conflict of the kingdom. And so he begins to pray. And what does he see? He says, he says to his servant, go, and go again. And then after seven times, he comes back and says, I see the cloud the size of a man's hand rising out of the sea. Now, what does that speak to you of? Apostle? Prophet? The evangelist? 
the past and future. The first sign, I believe, that the rain's coming is the restoration of these ministries. Have you seen that hand? Amen? Just touch these things and move on, but I want you to see how this is all part of the, the Elijah ministry. And it leads on to a deluge of rain. Now, the next thing that, that we um, will notice in chapter 19, that it exposes and it challenges the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel, sitting back in um, uh, Samaria, isn't at all pleased to hear that all the prophets of Baal have been executed. And so when she gets word, Ahab comes running back to tell her what's happened. It says, verse 2, Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. You see, he had brought in a tremendous restoration. God had used him mightily. And then just at the moment when it appeared the great breakthrough was coming, Jezebel lets something loose against Elijah that absolutely demolished him. What was it? I'll tell you what it was. It was the power of the occult spirits that were working through her. You see, she was a, a, a great spiritist witch medium, and the power that she exercised was the power of the occult. And, what, and I'm going to come on to this more carefully in a moment, because this spirit strongly working in the church at this time. But what I want you to see for the moment is that the, the spirit of or the spirits that were working in Jezebel had the power to defeat the spirit that was working in Elijah. I want you to see that. Because that's, what I, that's where I see we are right now. And you could look back over the last 10 or 20 years and you can see certain men that God has tremendously used and suddenly they've been hit with a, a, a spiritual crisis. They've not gone into sin. I'm not talking about the people that have committed immorality. I'm not going to mention any names on the tape, although I could very easily do that. I want you to think about who I'm talking about. Men who've not gone into any kind of sin or error, they've just <coughs> suddenly given up on their ministry and got discouraged. It's happened right here in the United States. Some of the men that God was using in the forefront of the restoration of all these things. What on earth happened? I'll tell you what happened. Jezebel came to get them. And if we are moving simply in the normal level of the spirit of Elijah, that's what's going to happen to us. I'm going to show you later on that something else is now developing. I want you to see this for the moment, that when the spirit of Jezebel, with all its occult strength and all its demonic power, came against Elijah, he was unable to resist that spirit and he buckled under the power of that spirit. And Elijah, who a little while ago was standing there boldly before all the prophets of Baal, he's running for his life. He sits down under a juniper tree and says, I, wish, I just wish I could die. This is the end. I'm finished. And then he says, I'm no better than my father's. And he's almost saying that all that ministry, it was a waste of time. It never achieved anything. I've heard some of these men 
that I'm not going to mention to you tonight, I've heard them actually say, my last 30 years of ministry was a waste of time. I thought, what utter nonsense. But they've been hit by something so powerful and so demonically strong that it's just, they've just buckled under the power of it. It's made me realize that if we're not going to be wise, we're going to find that power coming against us too. We need to be very wise. We need to understand what's going on. You find the same thing. Well, let me just mention that, that if you read on through 1 Kings 19, he, there's a partial recovery after direct ministry by the angels and by God himself. But you never, ever find Elijah ever coming back to his old powerful ministry. Do you agree with me? After he comes back from that period in the wilderness, he's given a commission, and the commission is he has to anoint three men. He has to anoint Hazel, king of Syria. He has to anoint Jehu, king of Israel. And he has to anoint Elisha to be the prophet in his stead. And the last few chapters of Elijah's life are preparing Elisha for the double portion ministry. I'm going to come back to this and develop it more fully in a moment, but I just want you to notice at this moment that Elisha's ministry was also in the power and spirit of Elijah. But it was doubly powerful. And Elisha, I presume, because I expect as he walked with Elijah and talked with him all those years of training, he got to know the heart of Elijah extremely well, and he realized that if he was going to defeat that spirit of Jezebel, he needed something more than Elijah ever had had. And I tell you, if we're going to defeat that spirit across the land, because in spite of the ministry of Elijah for the last decade at least, and probably nearer two decades, we have not penetrated the occult rule over this land. In the, in the realms of humanism, in the realms of education, I mean, isn't it absolutely disgraceful that we cannot even mention the name of Jesus in any public school in the United States? Now, two weeks ago, I was in Hungary having a marvelous time. I went to the town of Bekesh, and I was preaching in the church there. We had an evangelistic meeting every night. Dozens of people were coming to Christ. Demons were flying out. Miracles were happening. And on the Thursday night, I was invited, Thursday afternoon, I'm sorry, I was invited to the great gymnasium. It's, it's the great senior high school in the town of Bakesh, where hundreds and hundreds of students were, and I was given the whole afternoon to preach to the students. Hallelujah! And all, this, all the Eng English teaching faculty, they all came to learn English, and all their best English students were required to attend. They got more than good English. I'm not even sure, I'm not sure they got good English, but they certainly got the gospel. <laughs> and they were saved, and some of the staff came to the meetings and got saved in the meetings, and some of the children came, and we, they've been invited back now to regularly teach in that school. In fact, the Hungarian government has recently passed a law requiring every public school to compulsively teach about Jesus Christ for three hours a week. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, how did that happen? 
because there's been a breakthrough in the heavenlies, beloved. And we've not yet seen that breakthrough in the United States, but we're going to. If ever I was going to pray, I was going to say, God, let every child in America have the opportunity to hear the clear proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To me, it's absolutely foundational that it should be so. But there's not any sign yet that Jezebel's letting hold of her grip upon them, the education system and the media and this, this ghastly demonic manifestation of occultism and humanism are different manifestations of this spirit. I'm going to develop in a moment exactly what this spirit is. But I want you to notice that when Elijah was, was attacked by the full force of the occultish powers behind the woman Jezebel, he buckled and was not able to stand. God rescued him and, and as it were, uh, healed him to some extent, but he was, like a, he was like a wounded general who was now out of the battle. And some of the Elijahs who have pioneered the restoration of family and have pioneered the right place of husband and, and, uh, and of right godly authority in the home and of the right order in the church, some of these who pioneered these things, some of them are out of the battle today. They haven't sinned. They haven't, I'm not talking about the ones that have fallen into immorality, although part of the weaponry of Jezebel over to Portugal, Lisbon, Portugal, this summer to work for three weeks with Reinhard Bonker in preparation for a crusade and they're going to be part of the crusade with Reinhard. Now, just you think what they'll come back like. And when I was in the States last time, my 70-year-old son called me and he said, Dad, I hope you don't mind, but I had 60 of the young people around to my house while you were away. He said, but don't worry, we've cleaned it all up. I said, what did you do, son? He said, well, what happened was we were given the privilege of carrying the flags of the nations into the great opening ceremony. So we decided that we would like to gather together <clears throat> and we would like to pray about which flag we should carry. So they all gathered around at, 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 at my house because you were away. And he said, we... <laughs> but he said, I'm not worried. I know that there's going to be nothing but purity amongst those kids. And he said, we started to pray. And he said, son... God so gripped us with a heartbreak for the nations. He said, we were on our knees weeping for nation after nation. Some of the nations we've never even heard of. He said, we were there till three o'clock in the morning and we just could not stop praying. I thought, hallelujah. We're breeding a new breed of conquerors. And I tell you, if, if I was an American and I almost half am now, I tell you, I, in fact, I already am. It's, I'm on my knees. I'm I'm pleading for God to release our generation from the pollution of the Jezebel spirit. That we might bring them up straight and true in all the glory of the kingdom. Now, homeschooling's good, but I think to have a whole bunch of kingdom kids socializing and praying and being in, you know, impacted by the spirit together, there's nothing more wonderful. I have to take you all and show you our school and its function. It's beautiful. And, uh, and I want this to happen all over the world. But because I was pioneering this, I was, target, I was targeted and I, I, I got knocked out of the battle. And for about a, a year, I, I was just so depressed. I haven't time to tell you the whole story. I, it all fell apart. Uh, terrible things happened. I thought, it was just, I thought, what on earth went wrong? And the answer was, 
Jezebel let loose her fury on me. Because I was moving in, the, in an Elijah anointing. And it took me about 15 months to be healed and to understand what happened and possibly another couple of years to fully get back in the fight. But I tell you, I'm more in the fight than ever and I understand now that I have to move in the power and the anointing of Elisha. Now in, in the New Testament, again I'll just quickly tell you the story, we haven't time to read it. Got all my notes mixed up, never mind. I'm hardly using them. <laughs> but the same thing happened with John the Baptist. Do you remember when John the Baptist, when he was first uh, came to Jesus, he pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said, he said, this is the Son of God. He said, this is he that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was, it was powerful. And then you find him in Matthew 11. He's now been put into prison. Who's put him in prison? Herodias, the wife of Herod. And who is Herod? Well, he's another Ahab. He's another weak man being manipulated by a controlling wife. And Herodias hates this John the Baptist because he's already reproved him, the king, because he's illegally married Herodias. You see, the thing about this ministry is it stands for righteousness. And it stands for proper spiritual authority. And it stands for wholehearted devotion to the living God. Now that's, that's the, the, the heart of the element of the Elijah ministry. And while that spirit's around, it's impossible for Jezebel to do her dirty work. She's got to pull Elijah down before she can possibly pollute the people of God and manipulate them into the ways of Satan. And so she's always furiously and fiercely arrayed against any manifestation of the spirit of Elijah. Do you understand that? And so we find again, in the conflict between Herodias and John the Baptist, we see the, the, the whole battle again between the spirit of Elijah and the spirit of Jezebel. And once again, Jezebel wins. And you see, the thing that she had to do was to take off this man's head. You see, it's a matter of headship. It's a matter of authority. Can you see that? And that, beloved, is why there's such a battle on about these issues in the church. It's the spirit of Jezebel at war with the spirit of Elijah. And if she can, and wherever she can, she'll take off any Elijah that humbly and, and uh, meekly raises up the true standards of God's authority. She'll have his head if she can. So we have the battle again, and once again, Jezebel wins, and Elijah loses. But notice what Jesus says in Matthew 11. He, he testifies to John the Baptist, not, here's a weak fellow that's missed it, but he says, there's been none greater born of woman than John the Baptist. He was a mighty prophet, but he wasn't moving in the power of the double Elijah anointing of the ministry of Elisha. Can you understand that? But what he goes on to say was that the least in the kingdom of heaven 
is greater than John the Baptist. See, John the Baptist could only move in the power of Elijah. But it, the potential for us in the kingdom of God is to move in the power of Elisha. And the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Can you see that? Now let me just say a little bit about the spirit of Jezebel. I just want to say that. And then I'm going to just come back to Elisha. I just want to give, make some statements about Jezebel so you can recognize this spirit when, it, when and where it's working. The spirit of Jezebel classically is found in two ways. Number one, it's found in a scheming, controlling woman who manipulates a weak male puppet who, who is a leader either by marriage or by sexual control. There's a lot of act, sexual activity around the spirit of Jezebel, often polluted and perverted. Now that's the classic example. It's a, it's a strong, controlling woman who is the host of the Jezebel spirit. And she will find a weak, male puppet leader that she can control and manipulate and through him she will exercise a, a, a polluted demonic rule over the people of God. Her sphere of activity is always the people of God. Okay? It's a thing that you will find within Christianity in its widest terms. Now the second classical way that you will observe this spirit is not in a woman but in a man. And this actually, I'm talking about a person in whom the Spirit actually resides, that's found a home to live in. Now the influence, of course, touches many, many people. And I'm coming on to the influence in a moment. At the moment I'm talking about those who host the actual Spirit. And the second kind of host that you will find is the sort of man who often has a high position in nominal Christianity. He's often a leader. He will almost certainly be a strong advocate of liberal theology. He will often be a church leader of great importance and, and of, uh, uh, of, well, just great importance. But what you find is that this man is a weak, mamby-pamby sort of man. And wonder how could such a weak man have such a powerful position? And the answer is because he spiritually is married to the spirit of Jezebel. You understand what I'm saying? And I could, I could mention some names, but I, I'm not going to because I don't want a $19 million court case. You think about it. I could name names in the United Kingdom and in the United States where we've got classic manifestations of this. A well-known religious leader, usually committed to liberal theology and certainly advocates homosexuality and these other things because it's part of this polluting work and will certainly be a, a multi-faith guy. He will believe that all religions lead to God and he will be polluting the church of Christ with the faith of other religions. And yet when you meet this guy, he's as weak as water, he's a pathetic little wimp of a man. Think, how could this wimp of a man have such a great position? The answer is because Jezebel, his wife, keeps him there. You got it? Spiritually, 
Jezebel's married this man, and spiritually, Jezebel, the spirit Jezebel I'm talking about now, has put him in this prominent place, and the power of her occult activity keeps him there. It's not his own ability, it's, and he's willing to cohabit with Jezebel because he wants the position of power and prominence. He's desperately insecure because he can't do the job himself, but he's just kept there by the activity of Jezebel, and whatever she whispers in his ear, he's willing to do in order to keep his position. Now, do you know what I'm talking about now? And the nominal church of America and the nominal church of Britain, and indeed most parts of the world, is polluted with this thing. And most of the major denominations are ruled by this spirit through these kind of people. Those that practice non-evangelical theology particularly. But the influence of the spirit is much wider than this. And this spirit, although it may not find residence so easily, will certainly find a power of influence. And many good women and many good men are manipulated by this spirit without even realizing that they are. But in charismatic circles, especially where it's experience-orientated rather than Bible-based, we'll have a lot of these kind of women and a lot of these kind of men moving in the circles and bringing all kinds of confusion. But the spirit, and if possible residing in a host woman or a host man will find its way even into evangelical and sound Bible charismatic churches and there they will exert a tremendous influence and their main purpose is to pull down God's authority. They may not be able to pollute the church with their foul sex perversion but they will at least attack authority and attack God's spiritual authority and pull it down. And so you will find that these spirits, of course, are strongly working behind the feminist movement and are very active in establishing matriarch to Portugal, Lisbon, Portugal, this summer, to work for three weeks with Reinhard Bonker in preparation for a crusade, and they're going to be part of the crusade with Reinhard. Now, just to think what they'll come back like. And when I was in the States last time, my 70-year-old son called me and he said, Dad, I hope you don't mind, but I had 60 of the young people around to my house while you were away. He said, but don't worry, we've cleaned it all up. I said, what did you do, son? He said, well, what happened was we were given the privilege of carrying the flags of the nations into the great opening ceremony. So we decided that we would like to gather together and we would like to pray about which flag we should carry. So they all gathered around at, at, at my house because you were away. And he said, we... But he said, I'm not worried. I know that there's going to be nothing but purity amongst those kids. He said, we started to pray. And he said, God so gripped us with a heartbreak for the nations. He said, we were on our knees weeping for nation after nation. Some of the nations we've never even heard of. He said, we were there till 3 o'clock in the morning and we just could not stop praying. I thought, hallelujah. We're breeding a new breed of conquerors with us. And I tell you, if, if I was an American, and I almost half am now, I tell you, I, in fact, I already am. It's, I'm on my knees. I'm, I'm pleading for God to release our generation from the pollution of the Jezebel spirit. 
that we might bring them up straight and true in all the glory of the kingdom. Now, homeschooling's good, but I think to have a whole bunch of kingdom kids socializing and praying and being in, you know, impacted by the Spirit together, there's nothing more wonderful. I to take you all and show you our school and its functioning. It's beautiful. And, uh, and I want this to happen all over the world. But because I was pioneering this, I was targeted. I was targeted and I, I, I got knocked out of the battle. And for about a, a year, I, I was just so depressed. I haven't time to tell you the whole story. I, it all fell apart. Uh, terrible things happened. I thought, it was just, I thought, what on earth went wrong? And the answer was, Jezebel let loose her fury on me. Because I was moving in, the, in an Elijah anointing. And it took me about 15 months to be healed and to understand what happened and possibly another couple of years to fully get back in the fight. But I tell you, I'm more in the fight than ever and I understand now that I have to move in the power and the anointing of Elisha. Now in, in the New Testament, again I'll just quickly tell you the story, we haven't time to read it. Got all my notes mixed up, never mind. I'm hardly using them. <laughs> but the same thing happened with John the Baptist. Do you remember when John the Baptist, when he was first uh, came to Jesus, he pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said, he said, This is the Son of God. He said, This is He that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was, it was powerful. And then you find him in Matthew 11. He's now been put into prison. Who's put him in prison? Herodias, the wife of Herod. And who is Herod? Well, he's another Ahab. He's another weak man being manipulated by a controlling wife. And Herodias hates this John the Baptist because he's already reproved him, the king, because he's illegally married Herodias. You see, the thing about this ministry is it stands for righteousness. And it stands for proper spiritual authority. And it stands for wholehearted devotion to the living God. Now that's, that's the, the, the heart of the element of the Elijah ministry. And while that spirit's around, it's impossible for Jezebel to do her dirty work. She's got to pull Elijah down before she can possibly pollute the people of God and manipulate them into the ways of Satan. And so she's always furiously and fiercely arrayed against any manifestation of the spirit of Elijah. Do you understand that? And so we find again, in the conflict between Herodias and John the Baptist, we see the, the, the whole battle again between the spirit of Elijah and the spirit of Jezebel. And once again, Jezebel wins. And you see, the thing that she had to do was to take off this man's head. You see, it's a matter of headship. It's a matter of authority. Can you see that? And that, beloved, is why there's such a battle on about these issues in the church. It's the spirit of Jezebel at war with the spirit of Elijah. And if she can, and wherever she can, she'll take off any Elijah that humbly and, and uh, 
meekly raises up the true standards of God's authority. She'll have his head if she can. And so we have the battle again, and once again, Jezebel wins, and Elijah loses. But notice what Jesus says in Matthew 11. He, he testifies to John the Baptist, not here's a weak fellow that's missed it, but he says there's been none greater born of woman than John the Baptist. He was a mighty prophet, but he wasn't moving in the power of the double Elijah anointing of the ministry of Elisha. Can you understand that? But what he goes on to say was that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. See, John the Baptist could only move in the power of Elijah, but it's the potential for us in the kingdom of God is to move in the power of Elisha. And the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Can you see that? Now let me just say a little bit about the spirit of Jezebel. I just want to say that and then I'm going to just come back to Elisha. I just want to give, make some statements about Jezebel so you can recognize this spirit when, it, when and where it's working. The spirit of Jezebel classically is found in two ways. Number one, it's found in a scheming, controlling woman who manipulates a weak male puppet who, who is a leader either by marriage or by sexual control. There's a lot of act, sexual activity around the spirit of Jezebel, often polluted and perverted. Now that's the classic example. It's a, it's a strong, controlling woman who is the host of the Jezebel spirit. And she will find a weak, male puppet leader that she can control and manipulate and through him she will exercise a, a, a polluted demonic rule over the people of God. Her sphere of activity is always the people of God. Okay? It's a thing that you will find within Christianity in its widest terms. Now the second classical way that you will observe this spirit is not in a woman but in a man. And this actually, I'm talking about a person in whom the Spirit actually resides, that's found a home to live in. Now the influence, of course, touches many, many people. And I'm coming on to the influence in a moment. At the moment I'm talking about those who host the actual Spirit. And the second kind of host that you will find is the sort of man who often has a high position in nominal Christianity. He's often a leader. He will almost certainly be a strong advocate of liberal theology. He will often be a church leader of great importance and, and of, uh, uh, of, well, just great importance. But what you find is that this man is a weak, mamby-pamby sort of man. And with a, how could such a weak man have such a powerful position? And the answer is because he spiritually is married to the spirit of Jezebel. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I could, I could mention some names, but I, I'm not going to because I don't want a 19 million dollar court case. You think about it. I could name names in the United Kingdom and in the United States where we've got 
classic manifestations of this. A well-known religious leader, usually committed to liberal theology, and certainly advocates homosexuality and these other things, because it's part of this polluting work, and will certainly be a, a multi-faith guy. He will believe that all religions lead to God, and he will be polluting the church of Christ with the faith of other religions. And yet when you meet this guy, he's as weak as water, he's a pathetic little wimp of a man. Think, how could this wimp of a man have such a great position? The answer is because Jezebel, his wife, keeps him there. Have you got it? Spiritually, Jezebel's married this man, and spiritually, Jezebel, the spirit Jezebel I'm talking about now, has put him in this prominent place, and the power of her occult activity keeps him there. It's not his own ability, it's, and he's willing to cohabit with Jezebel because he wants the position of power and prominence. He's desperately insecure because he can't do the job himself, but he's just kept there by the activity of Jezebel, and whatever she whispers in his ear, he's willing to do in order to keep his position. Now, do you know what I'm talking about now? And the nominal church of America and the nominal church of Britain and indeed most parts of the world is polluted with this thing. And most of the major denominations are ruled by this spirit through these kind of people. Those that practice non-evangelical theology particularly. But the influence of the spirit is much wider than this. And this spirit, although it may not find residence so easily, will certainly find a power of influence. And many good women and many good men are manipulated by this spirit without even realizing that they are. But in charismatic circles, especially where it's experience-orientated rather than Bible-based, will have a lot of these kind of women and a lot of these kind of men moving in the circles and bringing all kinds of confusion. But the spirit, and if possible, residing in a host woman or a host man, will find its way even into evangelical and sound Bible charismatic churches, and there they will exert a tremendous influence, and their main purpose is to pull down God's authority. They may not be able to pollute the church with their foul sex perversion, but they will at least attack authority and attack God's spiritual authority and pull it down. And so you will find that these spirits, of course, are strongly working behind the feminist movement and are very active in establishing matriarchal government in every form. Have you got the picture now? I could talk for a long time about this, but I tell you, if you start to have eyes to see, you can see it everywhere. We've got to recognize the, the degree to which this spirit has infiltrated the church of Christ. And we need to start to confront it and drive it out. I would also warn you, good, godly women, without even realizing it, are being influenced by this spirit and are speaking the words of this spirit and are bringing the turbulence of this spirit without even realizing who they're serving. And it's been necessary, in my experience, a number of times to minister to good women 
who've allowed part of them to become infected by the Spirit. Often, they're disappointed in the lack of manliness of their husband. And so they will take over the reins. And so God's answer is to raise up men, not to be chauvinist pigs, but to be servant heads of their household, the way that Jesus is the servant head of the church. To take their responsibility and to be the kind of men that most women long to have as a husband. And once that authority is raised up, there'll be less and less room for this spirit to work in what I call the, the, the sound and solid part of the Christian church. But you can find these women in Pentecostalism, you can find them in charismatic circles, you can find them in every form of evangelicalism. They're not, they're not controlled by the Spirit, they're not a host for the Spirit, but they are influenced by the Spirit. They read the women's magazines that are full of this stuff and other kind of media literature which, which pours the words of Jezebel into every woman's ears in this nation. And of course, the television will be another source of this kind of infection. So just watch out for it. And let's start to pray with intelligence against this spirit, because I tell you, she's out to destroy, if possible, all the goodness and the purity of God, and she's out to kill every Elijah, whoever God is raising up to bring in the restoration of all things in the church. And the battle's on right now. Amen? How are we doing for time? You haven't got a clock. That's wonderful. I don't know where we are. Okay? Let me just read a few statements here. This spirit hates God and hates his authority and fiercely fights all submission to that authority and all teaching to that end in the church. Once God's authority is established, its powers are severely curtailed. It uses strong occult powers to gain its ends. You know, some women that I've had to deal with will actually pray the kinds of controlling prayers that are actually the words of this Spirit and are not really the words of God at all. They use strong occult powers to gain their end. They use feminine charms. I'm talking about the Spirit now, sometimes manifested in a woman, sometimes in a man, but the Spirit can be abroad without any identifiable human agency. Using strong feminine charms to, to seduce, if possible, God's leaders. Why are so many leaders going down at this time? What's hitting them? Jezebel is. Particularly if they proclaim a sound evangelical gospel. So it's the time for every man to be making sure that he is thoroughly and totally righteous and pure. And if he's not, he needs to get help until he is. Leaders particularly, watch out. This spirit uses adultery and fornication as weapons to destroy God's authority structure. It causes immorality and unfaithfulness to increase, especially among leaders. And you will find that if you are in a region that's polluted with, with men of God and and leaders in the church falling like ninepins because of 
sexual immorality, you start going to war against the spirit of Jezebel and see what happens. You'll find, I believe you'll find, the climate changes because that's the source of all this stuff. Strong occult powers work through this spirit to bring Elijah ministries into depression and discouragement, leading some of them to quit. Wherever possible, it slowly seduces God's people to honor and recognize other gods and other spiritual powers. You think how far we've slipped in these words. It worships the environment, Mother Earth, Greenpeace, all this stuff. It's all part of the spirit. Anything but God. Let's divert the natural desire of man to worship God into any other possible channel. It campaigns against social injustice on behalf of the underprivileged, but in a way that gets hold of people to control them. It'll often take a good cause and get on the bandwagon to exercise control over the people. Watch who you cohabit with, even when you're fighting legitimate causes. You may end up being in a spiritual bed with Jezebel. Can you hear what I'm saying? Exhibit A will be the campaign for nuclear disarmament. Exhibit B will be the abortion fight. Exhibit C will be some of the very genuine ecological issues of our day. The greed of the multinationals just ruining our planet in order to, to, to make a, an unreasonable gain is something that we should be rightly indignant about. But just watch who we cohabit with. Could be Jezebel. It will uh, encourage interfaith activities and by any means confuse Christians to see God and even, if possible, salvation in other religions. And you've probably noticed across the United States, as in Britain, that they're starting to build temples to Buddha. I don't know how many mosques you've got in the United States yet. Have you got any? We now have 147 mosques in the United Kingdom. Isn't that terrible? And just short of 100 Hindu temples. We have the world headquarters of the Hare Krishna movement, and I don't know what else. I've seen some of the great Methodist churches, which were filled with thousands in the great Methodist revival. They are now, one of them in Bradford, is now the center of Muslim missionary training for the whole of Europe. And the Methodists gladly gave it to them, because after all, we're all brothers together, seeking the common road to God. Now that's Jezebel. And beloved, it's time we rose up and said, God, give us that Elisha spirit. We're going to drive Jezebel out of our land, out of our churches, out of our people, so that she cannot do her foul, polluting work any longer. Right, let me just say a few things about Elisha. 
after Elijah had fallen and was restored to some extent by God, he never ever went back into the fight. The last job that God gave him, if you turn to 1 Kings 19, is verse 15, God said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus and when you arrive, three things, anoint Hazel as king over Syria. Now that means that this Elisha ministry has the power by the anointing of God to decree who even secular rulers are going to be. Can you hear me? So we're going to start to move in an Elisha ministry where we're going to decide who's going to be the president of the United States, who's going to be the presidents of Central American and South American countries. That's our first responsibility. And wherever else God directs our activity. You see, the Elisha ministry has a commission from God to anoint God's man to that place. Now, I want you to notice that although God told Elijah to do it, Elijah never did it. I've often thought why, and I can only conclude that the reason he never did it was because he could not rise up out of this depression. He'd lost his vision. He lost the confidence in his authority. And it was just beyond his faith to go and do such a thing. And notice that God did not judge him. God did not find fault with him. But he honored him as a mighty warrior who had been wounded, nearly killed in the battle. And it's interesting to note that for the rest of Scripture, it isn't the spirit of Elisha, it's still the spirit of Elijah. It wasn't Elisha that appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was Elijah. Malachi didn't prophesy about Elisha, he prophesied about Elijah, because God was determined to honor this man. And I could mention some names to you tonight, some of the fallen generals, some of the Elijah ministries who've been knocked out of the fight by the Jezebel spirit, and I tell you, beloved, God requires us to honor them, to bless them, and to comfort them, and possibly, after they have received the encouragement of the body of Christ, it might be possible for some of them to get back into the fight in the power of the anointing of the spirit of Elisha. And I know I've been called by God to minister to at least one of them. And my prayer is that he'll be back. Doubly anointed. More powerful in his latter years than he ever was in his former years. Because I believe that's the best will of God. But the Elisha ministry has the power to designate rulers of nations. The next person he was told to anoint was to anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And I see, if, I can, if you can allow me this uh, luxury, I see Israel as, as like that sector of the church of Jesus Christ which has become compromised and confused because I thought it was now or later on it became a mixed nation. And I see Judah and, and Israel representing, if you like, the part of the church that remains true, 
And the part of the church that went off the rails, theologically, but still loved by God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I believe that we have the power in the Elisha ministry to designate who the religious heads are going to be of great world religious organizations, and particularly of the, wide, in the widest sense, the, the visible Christian church. That's the authority that Elisha has. And then, of course, he was to anoint Elisha in his place. Now, let me just, in closing, just say some of the things which Elisha had over and above Elijah. Um, I want you to come with me. Uh, I'm not going to spend more time in 1 Kings 19. Come with me to 2 Kings 2. I want to just show you the one verse. 2 Kings chapter 2. And here is Elijah about to be taken up into heaven and Elisha has been walking with him in all his various experiences. Uh, I may come back to that later. I'm not sure. We'll see if we have the time. But at the end of that journey, Elijah, we're told, is about to be taken up into heaven and Elisha is walking with him, having passed with Elijah through this whole series of experiences. And in verse 9, Elijah says to him, Ask what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. And Elisha says, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now he wasn't looking for some great grandiose ministry. He had seen that Elijah's anointing was inadequate to deal with Jezebel. He knew he needed something much more powerful. He was just being realistic, not big-headed. Got it? And I tell you what God has done through the ministries in the last few decades. Praise God for them. Praise God for their anointing. But I tell you, in the 90s, and if God tarries it any longer, we're going to need something more than they ever knew to fulfill the purpose of God. Now, that's not being big-headed. It's just being realistic about what we're going to need. And so in verse 10, Elijah says to Elisha, you've asked a hard thing. Not an impossible thing, a hard thing. And I hope to show you in a few minutes, if we have time, why it was a hard thing. Because I want to conclude tonight by asking you whether you are prepared to agree with me that the spirit of Elisha shall come upon the American church. And that should it please God, you might be one of the manifestations. Because finally, there has to be people who actually move demonstrably in the Spirit. It's generally upon the church, but there are certain people who are picked out to visibly move in the Spirit. And of course, they're going to be number one targets for the enemy. Of course they are. You've asked a hard thing, and for that reason... The preparation is necessarily thorough. Do you want to be thoroughly prepared? All right, let's just read on. Nevertheless, listen, here's the test. Verse 10, nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened. <clears throat> what happened? As they continued on and talked, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, separating the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. 
What did Elisha, you see, did you notice that the test of whether he could move in the Elisha ministry was whether he could see anything? If you see me when I'm taken, it shall be so. But if you don't see me when I'm taken, it shall not be so. And what did Elisha see? He saw a revelation of the forces of God invisibly and powerfully arrayed to work with men who move in the power and spirit of Elisha. He saw the chariots and the horses of Israel. And he knew from that day forward, although he might walk physically alone on the face of the earth, he had a mighty army of God invisibly walking and moving with him. And he was more than a match for the devil. And you, my brother, if you're going to go into South America and break open demonic darkness, I tell you, you've got to see these multitudes. And God's going to open your eyes and show them to you in Jesus' name. And some of you are going to see this. And you see, like Paul, he could go alone into the great city of Ephesus. Why? Because he could see. Oh, I could talk for an hour on this. Can you see it? You see, God opened his eyes, and from that day forward, he moved as a man who could see the heavenly hosts that were with him. The Lord Jesus was the same. Don't you realize, Peter, that if I just asked my father, I could have ten legions of angels fighting for me? That's why he could stand before Pilate and all the power of Rome, and he was in charge. Because he actually had a bigger army behind him than was behind Pilate. And he knew it. Oh, hallelujah. Can you see it? I tell you, when I began to see this in the dark, demonic city of Bombay, it totally transformed my ministry. And all pray God he'll open our eyes. You come on with me to 2 Kings and chapter 6. And we'll find there two things I want to mention. Number one, this Elisha ministry has such insight into the uh, spiritual realm that it knows what the devils are planning to do before they do it. And I could tell you, I'm not going to because it's too politically sensitive, I could tell you of situations happening in the world right now where people who are beginning to move in the Elisha ministry are having things shown to them and they are revealing them to their national governments and they are changing whole political situations. It's happening right now. And they will just phone up and they've been told now, if you have anything from God, you just phone directly to the chief military commander of this nation that I'm not going to mention, and he said, we will take every word seriously, and several times, by that information, they've totally outwitted the enemy who was trying to work through some hostile military force that was being motivated by the devil. Just what you read here in 2 Kings 6, because as the king of Syria was coming against the king of Israel, Elisha was telling the king of Israel what the king of Syria was planning to do while he was still thinking about it in his bedroom. He said, now tell me, who's 
betraying us to the king of Israel. He said, oh, it's this guy, Elisha. You see, he's moving in an anointing where he knows what you're talking about. Figure out in your bedroom. He says, right, we're going to go and get him. See, that's why you need to have seen something. Because if all the powers of darkness that rule over Texas were to find an Elisha ministry, possibly here in Harlingen, that knew what they were doing before they did it and was outwitting them, they said, we've got to rub this guy out. And so imagine all the princes and demons and powers that have ruled over this present darkness, over the whole of Texas, they say, right, we're all going to come down to Harlingen or to wherever you come from, McCallum or wherever it is, and we're going to surround that place with demonic powers of incredible strength, and we're going to take this guy out. Now, if you haven't seen something, I tell you, you're not going to be able to stand. Can you see what Elijah was saying? And so in 2 Kings chapter 6, he sends this vast army to the city of Dothan, where Elisha is. And in the morning, verse 15, when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Oh, alas, master, what shall we do? And Elisha makes this glorious answer, Don't fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he wasn't just speaking brave talk. He could actually see it. It's easy to be brave at meetings and say, oh, we're going to take the kingdoms of Jesus and we're going to be very bold in our meetings. But actually, if you don't see with vivid spiritual reality when the dark assaults of Satan come against you, you'll be as discouraged and as defeated as Elijah was. You've got to be able to see the way that Elisha could see. So in verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Hallelujah! If you see me when I'm taken... It'll be so. And Elisha moved in the power of that clear sight and he was outwitting the enemy and totally at peace, whatever the opposition. And I tell you, Jezebel hadn't got a chance against such a man. He then laid his hands upon Jehu and imparted to Jehu something of his spirit and that was enough to send this guy off like a thunderbolt. And he's famous in scripture for the guy who drove furiously. Because he was so motivated by that spirit to go and get Jezebel. Amen? And he went and got Jezebel and that was the end of her. And I tell you, the Elisha spirit is more than able. The occult powers of Jezebel, it's just as if they were not there anymore. Because this new anointed double portion Elijah man had more than enough spiritual resources to take all those demonic powers out and Jezebel was suddenly as weak as any other woman. Hallelujah. Now that's what the Elisha spirit can do. 
Come back to 2 Kings, chapter 2, just for a moment. King of the Elisha ministry. Every one of them represents something very significant. The first place he went to was Gilgal. Gilgal was the first place they came to after they crossed over Jordan and began to occupy the promised land. The name Gilgal means the, the place of rolling, for God said there, I have rolled away from you the reproach of Egypt. You find that in Joshua chapter 5, verse 19. So three things happened at Gilgal. He rolled away the reproach of Egypt. It says they circumcised themselves afresh to the Lord because all the time in the wilderness they've never been circumcised. And I want to tell you this, that we grow up in a generation of Christians that is not circumcised. Now again, circumcision. The, un the spiritual meaning of circumcision is a big subject. It's quite a delicate subject to teach on. But it's very important to understand it. You see, circumcision, God took the organ of fidelity and appropriation and cut away the flesh from it. Can you see that? And what he was saying was, in that act, which was Abraham's response to God's covenant, that Abraham was to, was to take this act of circumcision as his part or his response to the covenant. They were to be, they, they were to be a covenant people by the sign of circumcision. Which means several things. Number one, it speaks of ab absolute filial loyalty. Do you understand the word filial? Sometimes I use an English word which I find is not familiar. Yet. It means... Uh, a, what does it mean? Absolutely undivided, undistracted loyalty in our love for God. And it says in um, the New Testament, it says that the true circumcision in Philippians 3.3, 3, three things it says, we worship God in spirit, we glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. And Paul, writing to the Philippians, perhaps we better just quickly turn to it, you will find that he, he tells them in, in Philippians chapter 3, in verse 2, he says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, and beware of, in the good old King James, the concision. Beware of those who are a very temperamental prima donna. And so God is restoring the fragrance of Christ as a first priority, even if you have got a powerful gift. Amen? I'll just say that and move on. The second thing, of course, is the city of palm trees, which is the... You know what happened when Jesus drove in, or rode into... Drove. He rode into Jerusalem. <laughs> on the donkey, and they all grabbed palm leaves and said, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King of David. And the Pharisees were disgusted. Jesus said, this is perfect praise. You know, you often find these great ministers will stand there and they all come in just two minutes before the meeting, before they come to preach. And they never take part in the praise. Have you ever noticed that? Well, everybody's jumping around, you know, there like this. And I think, what's the matter with it? Well, I tell you, I don't care what ministry you've got, you need to praise God as much as anybody else. 
Amen? So he's bringing them to a place where there are as much hallelujah, jumping, shouting, hollering, Jesus is glorious people as anyone else in the congregation. And so Elisha's being taken, he's being taken on a route to things which ought to have been in Elijah's life and possibly were not. And now at the end of his ministry, he suddenly rearranged his priorities and said, Elisha, if you're going to move in this ministry, you've got to come to Gilgal. Let God deal with Egypt. Let God deal with the world. Let him deal with the flesh. Let him deal with circumcision. Let him deal with, with the, the, you know, the, the, the Passover and all these things. Then we come along to Bethel. Now we've come to Jericho. And finally we go down to Jordan. And of course Jordan is the lowest riverbed on the face of the earth. It's more than a thousand feet below sea level. And the name means to descend, to go down. It's the place of death, beloved. Okay? And so finally, and Elisha had the chance at every stage to opt out if he wanted to, but he said, as your soul lives and as God lives, I'm going with you. And so Elijah's last great responsibility upon earth was to lead this young Elisha through these experiences that were going to equip him for the invincible Elisha ministry. And the final stage was to go right down into death. And the other 50 prophets, at that point, took a few steps back and said, oh, we're going to watch this from a distance. And it says in, in 2 Kings 2 that these two went on and these two went over. And everybody else said, no, this is getting a bit strong now. And there on the other side of Jordan, after he departed miraculously and made way for them, Elijah's taken up into heaven and Elisha sees him go up and the mantle falls from his shoulders. Have you ever thought how similar that is to Acts chapter 1 and verse 11 when the angel said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus shall come in like manner as you've seen him go. Now you go to Galilee and wait there. Or go to Jerusalem and wait there. And out of the at least 500 disciples that were known to be disciples of Jesus, about 120 of them went, and 380 of them presumably didn't think it was necessary. Things haven't changed much, have they? Then, in the day of Pentecost, the Spirit fell upon them. So to come back to Elisha, he stands there watching Elijah go up into heaven and the mantle, which is of course the symbol of his anointing of his ministry, falls at his feet as if God's saying, Elisha, have you got the faith and the courage to pick it up now? It was the first thing at the beginning that ever touched Elisha. When Elijah walked past him in 1 Kings 19, it says he's put his mantle upon him and then he passed on. But he wasn't yet ready to receive that mantle. It was, if you like, it was just a, a taste of saying, well, if you will walk this way, right the way through, to go through the death of Jordan and out the other side, then the day will come when you legally and legitimately will be given that anointing. And maybe God called some of you years ago to a ministry. And you felt the touch of a temporary mantle. You said, oh God, are you calling me? He said, yes, I'm calling you, but I'm calling you, first of all, to a walk of preparation for that ministry. You've asked a hard thing. 
But oh, I would that I could find the men who are willing to walk this hard way because there are too few Elishas around at this present time. But I will not short-circuit the preparation process because if I do, Jezebel will get them. Amen? And now, at last, Elisha was ready. And the mantle falls at his feet, and he picks up his mantle, and notice what he says, where is the God of Elijah? He's still honoring his father, Elijah, still recognizing the inspiration of that man's life, and that man's spirit has brought him to where he is. He's going to live the rest of his days honoring Elijah, and trying to promote himself. Can you see the beauty of that? He'd come to the place where he didn't want to make a name for Elisha. He wanted to see that Elijah's heart and spirit, that he'd come to so love and know that it was fulfilled. He wanted, if you like, to do it for God and to do it for Elijah. But the last person he wanted to do it for was for himself. Can you see the beauty of that? Where's the God of Elijah? Will you go on? Lord, in that mighty anointing and fulfill the burning passion of this man that you've just taken up into heaven. If you translate it into the New Testament terms, you want to do it for Jesus. If by some means, by any means, all that burning passion in the heart of Jesus, Lord, I will take up this mantle that he might be glorified and that his ministry might be fulfilled and his name may be exalted and the mighty power that he let loose might be released upon the earth in double portion. Jezebel and all that wicked occultism might be driven off the face of the earth that men and women might come to a knowledge of salvation in their multitudes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just let me close with one verse in Luke chapter 3. I'm not going to, just going to read it, that's all. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 3. It's another scripture that is quoted regarding Elijah. And they said to him, tell me, who are you? And in verse 4 of Luke chapter 3, he tells us who he is. He's quoting from the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low, and the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places shall be made smooth. And the purpose of it all is that all flesh should see the salvation of God. You see, there's a glorious evangelistic purpose in all this. That all flesh should see the salvation of God. Let's just stand. You've listened wonderfully. Bless you. Now let's just pray. What I want to do is this. What I believe God's given me permission to do is to say to you that the day of the release of the power and anointing of Elisha has come. 
And just as Elijah walked up and down, or walked into those fields and threw his mantle upon the young man Elisha, and that was the day of his calling and the beginning of his preparation. And I believe the Lord Jesus is walking up and down the rows of this church tonight, looking for the Elishas that he can anoint, and, and also, in a way, looking at the church corporately to send the corporate spirit of Elisha across the church. Although it will have its manifestation in certain individuals. It's a corporate thing for the whole body. He's come to the Rio Grande Valley. He's saying to you as a company of people, will you receive the spirit of Elisha? And will you cry for it to be released? And will you say from your heart, oh God, let a double portion of Elijah's spirit fall upon the churches in the Rio Grande Valley. We know we're asking a hard thing, Lord. But Lord, as best we know how, we're willing to walk that road of preparation and training. As best we know how, God, let your grace give us the ability to go right through, go clean across Jordan, and come back in the power and the spirit of Elisha. Because God, we want to tell you tonight, we hate the spirit of Jezebel and all the foul manifestations and what it's already done to this nation. Lord, we're serious. We want you to come and anoint the church in the power spirit of Elisha. We open our hearts to you and say, oh God, will you please come now and touch us whatever the cost to bring us to this place. In Jesus' mighty name. I'm just going to hand over to Brother Ron now. I'm not tonight going to call you forward. Later on this week we're going to have response and we're going to minister. But I just want each one of you just to respond to God and to his word. Tell him in your own way, Lord, God, you've spoken this to me tonight. And this is my response. Can you do that? Amen. Hallelujah. government in every form. Have you got the picture now? 